0: I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today is one of the last days of the month of Pride.
1: Happy Pride! It's been renamed from June to Pride.
0: That's right. It's, and this is my birth month. That is your birth. You were, you were actually
1: born on Pride 2nd.
0: Pride 2nd. <laughs>
1: That's what I'm gonna start calling it now. And Pride Second, 1982. And in honor of the month of Pride, we have TJ Clune on the show. Author of The House in the Karelian Sea. Which is the pride pick <laughs> for the Inky Phoenix, which is my queer wife's That's me. <laughs> book club about. A phoenix that rises from the ashes and that symbolizes each book you read in the ashes that it once again, <laughs> she wants to practice her elevator pitch for my book. Club. No, but go follow it at the Inky Phoenix <laughs> because she picks books every month that have a touch or sometimes a dollop of magic and magic and pride go hand in hand. Yes, they do. There is magic. I'd also like
0: to point out that I am sitting in a full pride getup right now. I just ordered this amazing rainbow set from our friends at Electric and Rose. What? I missed the Be True Pride sneaker
1: drop. Oh. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But I like the tie dye, and I like all that. I got to get over my. See, this, this is right like now. a
0: little microcosm for our relationship. What I'm trying to talk about something that I have on that is amazing, and then all of a sudden it's about sneakers.
1: <laughs> that is actually almost
0: <laughs> always what it's about. That's true.
1: <laughs> but so, in honor of today's episode, T.J. Klune- we're going to talk about Kate. Pride month. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say anything for the rest of the show. Okay. You have fun. Finally,
0: people, you're all mine. Um, (laughs) Well, we thought, as a couple, because we are united and do everything We have one brain now because of the pandemic. We've merged. (laughs) Uh, We thought, because we have TJ Klune on, and it's Pride, and we are queer, that we would talk about our favorite queer movies. Which
1: set my heart alight. Because I, you know what movie I'm going to talk about. I do know You exactly know what movie what, I'm going to talk oh, about. Go, go there,
0: girl. Get it. It's not Home Alone. So Catherine <laughs> said to me, "It's not Die said, Hard. It's not Home Alone, and it's not Jurassic Park." Although we have talked about dinosaur erotica, we have
1: the, earlier this season. And if you want to go back and check that See, out, you want some gay dinosaurs and erotica. We can go okay. there. But no, but let's so focus. Th- this is really important because I think part of the mission of Pride Month. Is to make sure that all the magical awesomeness that is queerdom gets uh, sh- gets shot out, so that everybody gets rain confetti down, <laughs> and they get just a little bit of the magic of pride on them. And if you want to absorb it's some of that magic, in of you, baby. if you want some of that magic in your life, you have got to watch <laughs> Catherine. What am I gonna say? Uh, we haven't talked about this. What movie am I gonna say?
0: Girl on
1: Fire. No, 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 but very close portrait portraits of a lady on um, fire which is this girl is on fire that's as much as you're allowed to sing oh. no because of the laws that you can't sing too much oh we have, you have to, pay to pay for it yeah no you, can
0: you guys see again
1: microcosm microcosm oh, it
0: Okay, so Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Portrait of a Lady but on Fire. It's French.
1: This is this is what's hard. Is my pitch for it is like it's a French movie. though, It's a yes? French movie set in the late seventeen hundreds. Guys, <laughs> are you guys not excited yet? Are you not? <laughs> so there's subtitles. It's a it's a drama period piece, but it's fucking awesome. But before I get, I'm not going to get into the mm-hmm. details of the movie. That it, that to me is the best queer movie, but also one of the best movies that was gorgeous. Yeah, that. Um, highlights bonfire a bonfire
0: scene in the middle of the mm. movie mm. and this mm. song that just starts out as rhythm and or cappella. i can't remember now that doesn't mean it wasn't important it means it was so good that i can't encapsulate it into words you can't um, and
1: you know what wait this is a this is a test oh. that song yes so the movie's set in 1760 yes but that song is from 2020. Okay, what would that make it? The fact that they put that song in the movie in
0: 1760s. Oh, anachronistic. Close. And and Anna. Anna, Anna? Anachronistic. Anachronistic. Oh, this,
1: this is. Oh my God, our listeners—they're like—they're basically in our living room for coronavirus when right. we're trying to learn the word anachronistic. I
0: know. We. I learned a new vocab word the other day, and I was like, "What's anachronistic?" And my encyclopedia wife was like, "Well, darling, da, 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 da. and now I, I. This is how I learn words: is I'm like Anna and Cur- Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Anachronistic. If that was in 2020, it would be very anachronistic. Um.
1: So I want to get to your favorite queer movie. Mm-hmm. So please, do, do or did you know that I was going to monopolize the conversation? And so I knew you didn't that, even come up with one? I knew this song
0: one? was going to dominate this song, this movie was going to dominate the conversation. I don't, favorite is tricky because, um, and I'm also going to butcher titles because I butcher titles and movies and songs and artists all the time. That's what I'm really good at. Um, you know, which one I loved lately? Was it love Simon? Yeah. Yeah. Love.
1: Yeah. Love. Dear Dear Simon.
0: Love Simon. Love Simon. Yeah. It was set in high school about a young queer boy. It was just so touching So beautifully executed. I also think sex education, I know this isn't a movie, but I just have to point out that sex education is one of the most inclusive, um, both like race, sex, gender, um, disability. Like I mean, they even talk about being asexual in the show. It's truly just a remarkable, remarkable show that's incredibly funny. I just find myself smiling, like grinning. You know, when you grin, when you're watching something and it hurts, that's the kind of show it is. And then the next second you're crying because it's really emotional. Um, and it's British and I just love British things. And that's on Netflix. And that's on Netflix. And then Timothy Shyamalan. Shyamalanmiant. Oh, Timothy Shyamalan. Shyamalanmiant. Shyamalan. My boyfriend. Your boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, obviously his movie was Say My Name. Call Me By Your Name. Call- wow. Well. I guess I could have actually written these down before we did this episode. <laughs> no, then it wouldn't be as charming. What is it? Say my name. Say, say, call me by call, call me, me by, by your name. name? Yeah. My name. Call me by your name. You guys are gonna figure this out on the Google machine. And then finally, the last one that I'd like to butcher. Uh, <laughs> blue is the coolest shade. Blue. No, blue is the warmest color. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although
1: there's some drama around that now because it's directed by a man and apparently the, the sex scene in it, which
0: was legendary because legendary it was like sex scene. A it nuts. is the most well, realistic sex scene. Well, I mean, it's intense. Not realistic, but over the top, because I'm not sure that many people are having that sex. Well, I'm that not saying that that's what like everybody's sex is like, but it definitely these two actresses were straight up having sex.
1: Yeah, and, and so that has lost a little bit of its luster for me because, oh. because the, apparently the two actors in that said that the male director was just like getting off on that scene and it was oh. really uncomfortable for them to film and it was just gratuitous. And so it went from being like this three-hour-long, beautiful female love story to almost being like you get the a patriarchal story. like fetish movie in my head, whereas Portrait of a Lady on Fire... Set in the 1700s. And French
0: subtitles, which you guys <laughs> should watch because it's amazing. There's a lot of petticoats. There's a lot of bonfires. <laughs> was directed by... There's a lot of wondering what's under the petticoats.
1: <laughs> was was directed by a woman. And it's... A, the, Thank the whole, God. We need anyway, more female directors. Quickly, before we get to TJ, because remember, he's on the show today. Yes. Um, I'm sure TJ is going to love this intro. He's going to love it. Before we get to that, I, I do want to talk for one second about hmm. how before I knew fully that I was gay and while watching movies growing up and they'd be romances and love stories. And like, I just didn't understand what they were not interesting to me. Like the the, gay romance. No, straight, like, oh, no, normal, oh. like, Hollywood romance movies. I was like, there was, I didn't get that, like, buzzy, electric feeling.
0: But you got the buzzy, tingly feeling every time Emma Thompson came onto the screen.
1: Or what I was going to say was the first time I remember feeling the buzzy feeling from, like, a Hollywood movie was when I kind of thought Julia Roberts was the cat's meow. Yeah. And she was in Notting Hill. Yeah. And the whole movie, I kind of put myself in, like, Hugh Grant's position because I'm like, if I was wooing Julia Roberts, like, and the whole movie, every time she came on screen, I was just like, oh, that's what that feels like. So Notting Hill somehow seems like a queer movie to me. (laughs) (laughs) So the big takeaway, if you you want to celebrate
0: Pride, you should go watch Notting Hill. Notting Hill.
1: Hill. Notting Hill is a very gay movie, (laughs) I think.
0: (laughs) In my heart, it is, though. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, we will bring on... I mean, I I think he'll like this title, like the king of queer novels right now. I truly believe that uh, TJ's out there and he believes in queer representation and he is just like hitting out of the park and the house in the Cerulean Sea, you guys, I can't even... It's magic. It is simply one of the most stunning novels I've ever read and extra freaking bonus that there's a queer romance that is part of it. And um, we're so excited to share TJ. He is so delightful, so intelligent, so well-spoken, very active on Twitter. If we have tweeters listening to this podcast, not so much on Instagram, but you can follow his tweets and um, let's bring him on. Yeah. uh, This is where you normally come in and say something,
1: but I wanted to like, you know, let it breathe. Let it breathe. I I, I kind of stampeded at the top of the show, like <laughs> a big old elephant coming onto the scene. Gay so. sneakers! <laughs> Not in Hill! Yeah, so I wanted to just go out like a little kitty cat. Okay. T.J. Klune is a Lambda Literary Award-winning author and a former claims examiner for an insurance company. His novels include The House in the Cerulean Sea and The Extraordinaries. Being queer himself, Klune believes it's important, now more than ever, to have accurate, positive queer representation in stories. All right, we are now joined by T.J. Klune, who is the author of, well, I counted 31 books, I think, in the yeah, last years. we need to talk years, about how but, many books you've written. Um, <laughs> specifically, The House on the... The House in the Carillian Sea. The Sea. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, T.J. We really appreciate it.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, all right, so there's so much happening in the world. Um, and before we dive in specifically to this magical book of yours, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a few of the things we've seen you be involved in over the last couple weeks. Um, not okay. just the, you know, not we're talking the racial movement happening in the US as well as what we've seen almost a secondary story of JK Rowling and trans rights. But let's start here because I know I saw on Twitter the other day that you, you actually were participating in the hashtag publishing paid me. And for our listeners who don't know, that was a Twitter campaign started to try to illuminate the differences and advances that were paid between black writers, white writers, and really show the systemic difference in publishing when it came to how that industry treats black writers. So can you, can you take us through your decision to participate in publishing paid me and what the reactions were to that?
2: Absolutely. Um, just, just so your listeners know, just so we can have that out front. I'm a white dude. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) and the, the, the the publisher publishing paid me hashtag was started by a, a black woman, and it, it was there to show the disparity. I mean, as of right now, as as we're all pretty much aware, there is an uprising going on in our country, one that is long time in coming, and it while it is focusing on the the uh, horrible death of a black man at the hands of the police this movement has gone and spread just beyond that to show how people of color are not exactly compensated as say as much as a a white person is in all in all industries i've seen i've seen the publishing hashtag which i have participated in but i've also seen writers for tv doing their own hashtag writers for movies doing their own hashtag i've seen game developers doing their own hashtag for that newsrooms doing their hashtags to show for that and to show that across the board in almost every form of media there is a disparity between how much people of color are paid versus how much white people are paid and i want to preface this by saying that um i have been an author published for since 2011 and i've worked my butt off to get to the point where i am today but that doesn't mean that there's not a systemic problem that that needs to be addressed. I participated in this hashtag because in 2018, I had my dreams come true when I was picked up by Tor and Tor Teen for six books total for six figures for each set of three books. And that is something that when that happened to me back in 2018, of course, I'm over the moon about it. And I still am over the moon about it. It's a it's a something that I want to be proud of. But at the same time, the onus is on me to be upfront and forthright with my readers because I have readers that cover <laughs> all, all the spectrum, all over the place. And I think it's important for someone in my position, to, to someone who has privilege, to be honest and forthright and help do what I can to help others who who need this information. So, I I posted it and <laughs> I admit to having a minor panic attack <laughs> after I posted the tweet where I discussed my right or how much I I've, I've made off my writing because it I am so intensely personal when it comes to finances. I mean everybody knows in in this country and probably the world over you just don't really talk about money. You don't yeah. talk about money. You're raised to you're raised to think that that's a private thing and it's very uncomfortable, but that uncomfortableness is now the point we have to be uncomfortable because we have to show um, what we can do to help make changes. And I mean, it was a small part that I played. I was one in a bunch of names that that came forward and did that. But it's important. This it's so important. And I'm hoping that this will actually lead to change and that people across the board will be compensated adequately and equally for the work that they put in.
0: Absolutely. And also as a member of the queer community, you've been so outspoken for such a long time. And especially lately with what JK Rowling has been going on and on about. We just read the open letter on her website. We're trying, trying to stand. explain herself when it comes to trans issues, which um, for anyone who wants to read it, you've really got to clear your head and sit down because it is, it's it's, it's dense, dense to try to,
2: but it, it is, it's, it's very lengthy. And what, I think what stuck out the most at me, at least at first, was her admission of being a survivor of domestic violence and and uh, sexual assault. Which nobody should try to minimize that because that is that is a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to live with, and to be forthright and public about that is important. But then to turn around and weaponize the trans issues on top of that—that's yeah. where it went wrong with me. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was, there was parts of that essay, and I read through it a couple of times. The first time, I was absolutely just jaw-dropped incredulous. credulous. So I, I, I was angry and pissed off, so I allowed myself to calm down, and I went back and read it a second time, and it seemed to me that she was suggesting that she could have turned out to be trans if only these certain things hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind because that's, that's, <laughs> that's not how it not works. How it works. <laughs> no. That is not how it works. And if it was any, most any other YA author that had spouted such views, their publisher probably would have turned around and dropped them like that. Yeah. But since it's J.K. Rowling who wrote probably the most popular YA series in history, mm-hmm. money talks. And there's no way that the publishers are going to drop her. I mean, just this morning, or uh, I think I saw it just this morning, the Warner Brothers, who puts out the film versions of the Harry Potter series and the Fantastic Beast series, came out. And though they didn't speak, they didn't name her directly, which I thought was kind of a cowardly move. Mm. They did, they said that they support trans people, which was good. But if you're J.K. Rowling and you literally have billions of dollars off of the work that you've done. Why are you putting all this crap online? Go buy an island and go live on a <laughs> beach with a drink in your hand and don't go on the internet.
0: <laughs> it's a curious a hill do. for her to decide to to die on. And, and and we highly recommend for anyone who's curious about this to read Daniel Radcliffe's
2: response. Yeah, because Yes, for, I thought through, that through was the Trevor Project, which was beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, it was, beautiful response. It was gorgeous writing. It was short. It was succinct. And it, it, it really made the point that, that a lot of people are trying to make. And whether or not that does anything, I doubt it because he made that statement and then she turned around and published that blog post anyway. I know. So I, I don't know if she's, she's listening. But, you know, I've, I've always tried, at least at first, tried to give her the benefit of the doubt um, cause again, she was, she wrote, I read all the books. I saw all the movies. I love them. I waited in line when the last book came out, just like, you know, probably half the Everybody. country did. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then remember like in 2008, she was like, oh, by the way, even though I didn't write it like this, Dumbledore's gay. <laughs> when she, when she said that, I was like, wait, wait a minute. If, if that's who he was and that was part but of his identity, ever, why are no. you, why, why didn't you ever say that in the book why why are you trying to retcon (laughs) what you've written that's not that's not how it works if you want positive representation in your books put them in the damn books (laughs) don't Mm -hmm. just come after the fact and and expect to be lauded and applauded such things and that's kind of when i was like "Eh, i don't know about her man and then you know it just Earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year when she started posting basically her transphobic tweets, I was like, "Whoa, nope, done, 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 done." And then uh, she kind of just fell off my radar and went away. And then this last screed that she's done over the past week has just—it's blown my mind that that somebody who whose stories were all about compassion and and being together to to fight against evil and wrong. That she's now the villain of her own story.
0: It's it's so hard, TJ, because, and this was prior to all this happening. When I when I read your book, there was something, and this was meant to be a compliment. I don't know what it is now, but there was something that was evoked. Like when I read your book, that reminded me of the magic <clears throat> that I've only felt from Harry Potter. Reading Harry Potter, like you captured something that is so special in the house in the Karelian Sea. And everyone, all the readers from my book club and friends who've read it, when I've asked them, like, what do you want to ask T.J. Klune? We're talking to him. They're all like, I don't have a question, but can you just tell him that I love him so much and that I <laughs> held the book like a baby for an awkward amount of time to my chest when I finished it? And he, and it, it's truly the first time I have felt that energy since her books. And it makes me so sad to to now not even be able to really say that because I feel like she is stripping the magic away from so many people by this truly bigoted speech that she's spewing out. Right. And, it's, and
2: let, let's let be, let's be clear here. Anybody that we have the right of free speech, yes, anybody, absolutely. Can, as, anybody can espouse their beliefs the way they want to, but just because you have freedom of speech doesn't mean you have freedom from consequence. Yeah. And she is, going to be facing the consequences of this and for the fact that she does she did all of this during during the 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 rising of, of black lives mm-hmm. matters during Pride month during the middle of a pandemic it's just it I, I just don't understand why she she felt the need to post in the first place but then to just turn around and double down and then when she posted the the essay on on Twitter, she made it so the tweet could not be commented on only retweeted which would spread her message essentially <laughs> so she didn't want to get anybody- killed by the ratio you know right exactly exactly and she would have been and i what i what i obviously i i feel for for everyone affected by her words but i I feel so bad for that fandom that community that that has held up these books and these movies for so long yeah. as like a paragon of of virtue and 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 niceness and kindness only to have the author of all of that turn around and slap you in the face I yeah. just it blows my mind that that's that's what she has chosen to do with her time but again, the best thing people can do at this point after you get done being angry is to to control that anger and then and then show show what you want to do with your wallet. Don't go with the movies. Don't buy the books. Don't buy the merchandise, anything like that, because some of that undoubtedly goes into her pocket. No. Right. So <laughs> I just I feel really bad for all of those people and I hope that I hope that JK Rowling will have a come to Jesus moment. But it's okay, because they can wrong.
0: all read the House in the Carillion Sea yeah. now and get the same feeling. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I promise, I will not be a transphobic asshat. <laughs> so, that's well, how it goes. All
1: okay, right, so I'm, uh, I wanted to read a, a, a quote from page 104 and 105 of the book. Um, I'm going to read your own words back to you, because it's, it's Mr. <laughs> Parnassus who says, sometimes our prejudices color our thoughts when we least expect them to. If we can recognize that and learn from it, we can become better people. And that seemed very appropriate for a lot of white people right now who seem to just be waking up to the recognizing the races and then trying to figure out how they can become better people for it. But the question I wanted to ask you is that when you were sitting down to write this book, did you actually like in a premeditated way have things you wanted to convey and then I go did. about building characters or was it or was it they just came about through the writing?
2: Well, I did because let's 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 jump back a little bit in in time because I wrote this book at the beginning of two thousand and eighteen. So, if you think about it, that was two years ago, and I wrote it at the time because I wanted to write a book about hope and kindness. That was my mm-hmm. main goal was to write a book about hope and kindness and and um, do the best that I could with that and put it out into the world because at that time, we could have all used <laughs> some hope and kindness. Little did I know that two years later, the world would be on fire right. and everybody would just be losing their damn minds. It, it, it. When this book came out, this book came out on March 17th and that was right when the pandemic was really kicking into gear. Like literally the Tuesday this book came out, that week was when everything exploded. Everything was shutting down. Everything was going crazy. And so after i got over my my the chip on my shoulder the poor me oh why can't why did this have to happen now i realized that there was probably no better time for this book to come out because we all are fed a diet of outrage every single day on what is wrong with the world and we need we want to try to find a way to to make it better to fix it so everybody can be lifted up but i think we could all use a little bit of a break <laughs> from that too which is why I, I think that this book came out at the right time. And I didn't, I didn't write this book with the specific issues of today in mind because I didn't know, obviously, how bad it was going to get. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to write something that people, when they closed the final page and they, they closed the book, that they were able to just let out this happy sigh and that everything everything might be dark but it can be a little bit brighter every now and then. Well, and yeah. Go
0: ahead. Oh, I was uh, yeah, I was My about to do is a happy just, sigh. Just like smiling big and broad. I <laughs> like it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, yeah. I mean, I cried. I cried happy tears. I I had happy sighs. I the book is marked up with so many quotes and thoughts that were so meaningful to me and I was hoping we were hoping That, you know, I don't, we don't want to give any major plot away in this podcast, even though I'm sure a lot of our readers have already read it by the time they'll listen to this, but I was hoping that you could go through the list of children in the book and could you possibly say, you know, what their kind of superhero power is, their magic ability and, yeah, and what, where what that they came are. from? Like, but, but like, how did Absolutely. you, it's, it's so creative. I just want to know how you got these <laughs> ideas. <laughs> well, Can you start with Chaucer?y please? is <laughs> our Chauncey. favorite. Chauncey. Yeah,
2: he's he's my favorite too. Absolutely my favorite. And, oh, and to just, to give back yes. the little backstory on them, I, I, when I first started out, I wanted, I knew I was going to write about, Magical something about children facing discrimination about who they were and and what they could do, and the bigotry that came with that. but I didn't quite know how to make the pieces fit so i I decided to start researching orphanages in the nineteenth and the twentieth century, and I was i as I sometimes happened i I'm on Wikipedia and I'm clicking through article after article because that's usually my jumping off point, and I came across something known as the 60s scoop. And in Canada, in the late 1950s through the 80s, uh, indigenous children were taken from their homes and put into government-run facilities. The goal, as it were, was essentially assimilation, that they were going to adopt these children out to middle-class white families in Europe, the United States, and Canada. And it's estimated that by the end of the 60 Scoop, 20,000 children had been removed from their homes. Jeez. And it wasn't until 2017 that the victims of the uh, of the 60 Scoop were awarded compensation for what they'd been through. And with that idea in mind, I, I wanted to to think of that and how that must feel for those kids, especially since after I finished writing the book in the spring of 2018 in the summer of 2018 news broke at our southern border about families being separated from their children and put into government run facilities it was this weird cyclical thing that that um that we just don't seem to learn from our mistakes we 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 always seem to repeat ourselves in the worst possible ways but the children while while the story is about Linus's journey to be coming from going to being a, a cog in a bureaucratic machine to standing up for himself and others. I know that the kids are <laughs> the true stars of the book. <laughs> Chauncey is an amorphous green something <laughs> yeah. that he wants to be a bellhop more than anything in the world. And he's literally made of pure sunshine. And he is by far my favorite, just because his innocence is something that that no matter what's happened to him, no matter if people are scared of him just because of how he looks, he's never let that defeat him. Mm-hmm. And it was important for me to show that because some of the other kids in the book aren't as lucky. Take Sal, for example. He is a, <laughs> a shifter. He, I'd, I'd already, I've written a popular series about werewolves, so I didn't want to go that direction. So I said, why the hell not? I'll make him a of Pomeranian. <laughs> and his, his backstory is a little bit more tragic. He's the newest inhabitant of the island, and he has suffered abuse. Uh, It's not in explicit detail, but it is hinted at that he has suffered at the hands of people who are supposed to protect him. From there, we have uh, Talia, who is a girl garden gnome with a long flowing beard and a propensity to threaten anyone she thinks will hurt her family by preemptively digging their graves in her garden (laughs) (laughs) you got the forest sprite fee who distrusts um anyone she doesn't know and can grow trees out of nothing and probably my second favorite is theodore the wyvern a very small dragon who hoards button under Mm. buttons underneath his couch and from there we can go to lucy who i think has probably proven to be the favorite of many because he is funny he is smart and he loves what he calls dead people music and he has admitted he admits that he has spiders in his brain and obviously that because that's because of his <laughs> what he is he is a 6-year-old antichrist
0: it, i got some uh, good omen vibes from neil gaiman and terry pratchett from yeah
2: Lucy. i i i, I have never read that book. Oh, I so watched the, the, the mini series oh, when the, it came out last Pine. year, but yeah. right. Yeah. And I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Um, I, I think that I kind of went in a different direction, but it was, it was the, the, that mini series, I can't attest to the book, but I, I know many, many people love it, but that mini series was glorious because it took a, what could have been a dark subject, which, I mean, you think in the antichrist, at most ninety nine point nine percent of versions of the Antichrist in film and books in television are all terrible. But it it made the the Good Omens, the the miniseries was a happy, funny thing. And it did have its moments of darkness, but it didn't let the the it didn't overshadow the brightness of it. And I, I loved, I loved, loved that.
1: TJ, we mentioned at the top of the interview, I don't know if I have this number right. I, I counted on on Google. You've written 30 books since 2011. Does that sound is, about right? No, th-
2: I, there's a few short stories in there okay. that, that I've published in anthologies are for free. The House in the Cerulean Sea was my 25th novel.
1: So uh, can you just take us through the, the road to to you carving out a path to becoming a full-time writer and and, and the kinds of stories You've wanted to tell
0: along that journey? And do you write all day long? Yeah. Every day? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's nuts. Well, I back in 2010, uh, or even before that, I wanted to write a book. I knew I wanted to write a book. i have been writing stories forever, ever since I was a kid. I used to carry this notebook around with me when I was six or seven, filling it with with stories about... <laughs> which basically, looking back, is essentially fan fiction about stories about me and a character from a video game fighting bad guys together. (laughs) And um, it it only absolutely blossomed from there because writing is the one thing that has, that helped me to clear my brain. I'm, I'm neurodiverse. I have ADHD, so it can be hard for me to focus. It's gotten better as I've gotten older. um, But writing has always calmed the bit of a storm that I had in my head. So back in, god 2009 2010 i said you know what i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna write a book and so i did and once i finished i was like oh this is so good people are gonna love it it's gonna be so great (laughs) and then i turned around and i googled gay publishers and i pulled up i clicked on the first one that i found And said, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just gonna send it in to them. And (laughs) weirdly, they got back to me a couple of weeks later saying, Yes, we wanna publish this. Here's a contract, here's what we'll pay you, blah, blah, blah. And it just blossomed from there. I was in, I was at that time and for most of my writing career, I was employed with an insurance, I was a claims adjuster at an insurance company. So I would be working 50, 60 hours a week, and then I would come home and write until probably like one or two o'clock in the morning, and then turn around and get up at 5am and do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And I I survived barely, (laughs) because it was important to me, I wanted to do this more than anything in the world. And so I kept on writing, kept on writing, nearly killing myself doing so. But you know, when you want something bad enough, you have to work for it. So I uh, continued writing and and the most I think I released in one year was four books in one year, which I can never ever TJ, do something that's like nuts. that again. <laughs> it is, that's it nuts. absolutely is. It is, I know. But when, you really don't have
1: to write more than a book a year, and even that's a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the House in the Trillian Sea. I wrote that in three months. <laughs> wait, 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 before Whoa. you wait,
1: wait, before you continue, I did have this question, so I'm going to ask it now, and then we can continue down the road, Ron. But yeah. Can you, so the first draft of The House in the Cerulean Sea. um, Which must have taken one month. One month. No, no, no. But can you, like, because Catherine's working on a a revision of a novel she's written now. And like, it's interesting to see maybe what characters are being introduced on that second revision or like what ideas for your main character you're now weaving throughout. Can you share with us the difference between the first draft and the final draft and maybe.
2: Oh, absolutely. So there was a part in the book where the it goes out after their adventure with Zoe to go into the forest and, and Linus follows them to, to see what they're up to. And she goes out there and she, she tells them about the trees that are clones of each other, about how underneath um, it might, they might all look all the same, but underneath there's a wild and vast root system that allows them all to continue to grow, which I I felt was important for her as a character because she needed to be more humanized. And, and without that scene, I think that there might have been something lacking for her. You know, all the other all the other kids had have a bright moment to shine to take center stage, but she didn't. And and that was a mistake that I needed to rectify. So that's why I went back and added that scene because it was important that she get the same kind of of arc that the other kids got. And when when you're dealing with stuff like that, when you when you do rewrites, everybody knows these authors know those are a pain in the butt, man. Those are (laughs) hardcore to have to do because at first you're like, oh, well, the book is just fine as is. And then your editor's like, well, yes, but you might can do this to make it a little bit better. And then, of course, you know, you have to do your whole, I don't know about that. But then once (laughs) you get over yourself like you should, that's when you realize that that the editor has a point. And my editor had very good points, which the book honestly – for for i'm proud of the book but it's better than it has any right to be because of my editor and and her her feedback and how she developed the story with me and and helped me make it um um the the type of story that i wanted it to be and that's i know that a a lot of people might not understand but editors are just the best (laughs) or when you find one that you click with like i have with my editor it's just it makes everything so much easier and and it it allows you to become a better writer because i i know i'm a good writer but i want to be the best writer i can be not the best writer in the world the best writer i can be and and my editor is helping me to do that
0: absolutely and i'm i'm sure this was a conversation with your agent and not your editor but did you discuss potentially making this book young adult or how did you decide that you wanted to take this to uh, uh, publish it as an adult novel versus it, that actually
2: came, that came from Tor. Um, they, when this, when, in the initial manuscript, there were two instances of the word fuck in that book, mm-hmm. two instances. And my editor, Ali said, if we take those two words out, then this book will open up to a much wider audience. You could, it'll be, it'll be young people being able to read this with their parents, Anybody can pick up this book and read it because um, as she as she rightfully told me, some parents will go into a bookstore and find a book and then they'll say to the bookseller or uh, to a librarian, Are, is there any cursing in this? And hmm. the librarian bookseller will say, yes, there's this and this. And that might stop them from being able to read it. And I wanted this book to be as accessible to anybody who wanted it. Yes, it's a queer love story, but it's not just for queer people. It's for anyone who wants to read it. So when Tor asked me if I had a problem with removing those two words, I said, absolutely not. Um, so that's, that's really the only change that I had to make in order for it to be able to be read by anyone. Since
1: it is Pride Month and we haven't touched too much on that yet, how, what role does being queer play in your identity and your writing?
2: being queer is part of me every every single story that i've written has queer characters as the lead characters um when you're a queer kid like me growing up in a rural place i I grew up in a very rural part of oregon and when you're a kid who's 12 13 14 years old who's going on with undiagnosed adhd and you're slightly effeminate and you talk too much you don't have a very good life because that's just how it is when you're when you're living basically i come from a family of rednecks i can say that because that's my people (laughs) and it's 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 hard when you're when you're a kid you don't you turn on tv you turn on movies you read books and you don't get to necessarily see yourself in these in these forms of media it's getting better now it's better now um Especially YA being the, the, the forefront, the leader of diversity and pushing for diversity in, in writing. Obviously, as we discussed earlier, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of, of giving authors of color the same opportunity. But um, we, it, it's important for me to to show that while being queer is part of my identity and part of my character's identity, it's not all they are. I mean, you don't you don't necessarily read a book to say, "Oh, well, this character's straight and look at their straightness. Look <laughs> <Wow. laughs> how straight they are. They're so straight, it's so cool." <laughs> it's it's just part of them. And I I think it's important to to show that that we're all we're all the same. We're all people. And why can't we just I mean, it's 2020 and we're still dealing with homophobia and racism. What the hell is wrong with all of us? What what are we doing? And I just, I don't know, I I just want to do my part to, to put good representation out there in the world because it matters. It matters to some queer kid who's living in a rural place like I did, who can't see himself in, in the people around him. So they, he, she, whoever can find a book like mine or find a bunch of other books written by amazing queer authors to, to say, Hey, this is me. And you know what? I'm going to be ok. I'm going to make it
0: well, I know we both thank you for writing that way because it, we totally agree in normalizing it, not it, it doesn't have to be pointedly like, oh, it's a queer romance. It's a romance period.
2: And right exactly. And it's and, and even even the romance aspect aspect of it, that doesn't need to be the the full identity of the book. i love I love that the fact that it's included. and in all of my books pretty much have a queer romance as part of their their narrative. And it it just goes to show that that even now, I mean, let's let's be honest. Even now, some people cringe at the word romance. You know, readers who don't read it, they're like, "Oh, a romance, a trashy, you know, Fabio <laughs> cover, bare-chested, and all of that." But then, when you say queer romance, more people will be like, oh, uh, uh, what is that?" And it just, I just, I just. You know, I want to do my part to stick it to the homophobes, I guess. Yes.
0: Well, please continue <laughs> and we will be reading. Um, so we just wanted to, to wrap up. We have a, a couple questions that we ask all our authors at the end of the show. Just some quick, easy, fun things. So I think they're the hardest questions of the show. But I we'll know see. maybe they're not easy, <laughs> but we'll see. So TJ oh, <laughs> it's OK. Uh, what was the last book you read?
2: The last book I read, I am reading right now. Oh, man, I hope I don't mess up her name. Hold on one second. I have to okay. do on my phone because <laughs> it's, it's really good. And I want to make sure that I'm looking at it right. It is, where is it? Oh, Work For It by Talia Hibbert. Okay. Talia Hibbert. And it is a, a queer romance. Um, and it is, the writing is freaking gorgeous. <laughs> I opened it up thinking, oh, okay, there's a shirtless hot dude on the cover. might just be, you know, it might just be a dime a dozen, whatever. A friend of mine recommended it. And I am at 75% right now. And I just started it last night. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because the writing is gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is so freaking epic. And I am stunned by this writer. And it looks like this is the only queer romance, at least, that I could see that she's written. All the rest is is straight romance. But, I mean, this writing, I'm...
1: Will you say the title again? I just
2: have to sing its praises. Yeah, it's called Work For It. Work For It. by And funnily enough, her name is Talia, (laughs) just like my gnome character. Last name (laughs) Hibbert, H-I-B-B-E-R-T. And I recommend everybody read it. It is wonderful.
0: Awesome. Um, What was your favorite book as a child?
2: Ooh, I was a weird reader. Like, I... I, um, I started reading Stephen King at, like, age 10, oh, wow. <laughs> hiding. I would I would check out the books from the library. I didn't understand half of what was going on, but I, I liked to be scared. So, But my parents weren't exactly pleased with that, so um, I would have to hide <laughs> the books I checked out from the library. And growing up, I had two favorites. One was Stephen King, the book It, which Oof. was just – it just,
0: you were brave. Uh, you were bold. T-
2: Twelve hundred pages of absolute mind-numbing fear, and I loved it. I've read that book so many times, and the other, <laughs> the other book that, as a kid, that is still something I read once every year. Just because apparently I'm a masochist is where the red fern grows mm-hmm. by Wilson Rawls. You just want
1: to cry. You want to cry. At I the end. do, and
2: every time I do, I know what's coming at the end. I I am the one of the biggest dog people in the world. Mm-hmm. I love dogs, and that book. And I won't read I if if I know that there's a dog in a book or a movie or a video game that that takes is part of the main cast or takes a central role, I will Google if the dog dies because <laughs> if it dies. I probably won't watch it, right. but Where the Red Fern Grows, every year I read that book, and every year by the end, I am a freaking mess.
1: Yep, <laughs> I remember crying, me, oh, crying. That, that, that is like book a little, is so like, awful, and I love it. 11-year-old, I just went to like my closet and bawled oh. at the end of it. So yep. I think there's – you guys don't remember reading Where the Red Fern Grows? No, no? producer
0: Lindsay and I have not read it, but wow. I, I'm a little afraid to. Oh, if you, I need a good cry, I know what I'm going to read now. Ugh. Yeah book.
2: oh yeah. I'm like you TJ dogs
0: dying. and I'm like I can't do it I can't no. do it I can't no, do no, it. No,
2: there there's an actual website called Does the Dog Die? And it shows no way. all of the media. Oh yeah. And it shows all of the media and you can and, and you can just basically search for a title and it'll bring up if the dog character in that film, book, movie, TV show, whatever dies. That is more
0: useful content.
2: I have <laughs> I have not watched things because of that. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't can't emotionally that do that stuff. to yourself. Right. But I then understand. I do every single year by rereading the book.
0: Well, okay. We have one more question for you. The hardest question of the entire podcast. Maybe the most important. Oh Sweet. Chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin?
2: Ugh, chocolate chip cookies raisins are the devil and if you eat raisins you should be ashamed of yourself
0: <laughs> <So friggin' laughs>
2: that I- i'm chocolate gross. chip and
0: kate is an oatmeal raisin and i oh my god you, no, know, no. This
1: you guys are just you guys are it's like liking the new york yankees that's what you guys are like no it's i'm basically over here this. i'm basically
0: a baltimore orioles fan and when
1: we win the title it's fucking exciting but you guys can just be chocolate chip people it's like liking michael jordan there's no excitement in it well.
2: There is nothing more disappointing in no, the world many. than seeing a plate of cookies and walking over there and <laughs> thinking they're chocolate chip, but getting closer and realizing they're it's oatmeal raisin. That level of betrayal <laughs> will stick with me forever. Whoever brought them, I will. I will give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> you,
0: you will give them a movie where the dog dies in the end and you will make exactly, them sit down and watch exactly.
2: it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, well, TJ, this has been fun. You're amazing. Thank you for writing one of my favorite books of all time and taking the time to talk with us. And thank
2: you so much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. And 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 I hope that everybody everybody enjoys the house in the Sea. Awesome. Thanks, TJ.
0: Thank you. Take care. And that's a wrap. But I forgot to mention we got so excited about our career TV shows and movies at the beginning of the show that the women's health magazine asked me to put a collection together through the Inky Phoenix of some of my favorite LGBTQ authors for pride month. So you can check it out. I I collected more recent authors and books that have come out this year, but if you want to check out that list, you can find it at the Inky Phoenix or you can check it out on women's health mag on their Instagram. And, um, Hollywood Reporter asked me to put together a list of the
1: best queer movies, and I put that list together, and it was Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, and Notting Hill. So (laughs) you guys can check that out at thehollywoodreporter.com and just look it
0: up, (laughs) (laughs) and it'll be there. It'll totally be there. With Kate Fagan's name on it. That's right. (laughs) All right. But really, that is a wrap of the show. And this is the time of the show where the good shit happens. This is where the good shit goes down. We want to thank our producer, Lindsay Collins, because this show would not happen without Lindsay Collins. And you can check her out on FB Radio. That's her podcast.
1: You can find us if you want to email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com or at freecookies on Instagram free cookies podcast on Instagram, please, please, please go follow the Inky Phoenix on Instagram. You guys, you have to follow the
0: Inky Phoenix so you can get book recommendations like the house in the Cerulean sea and, and join us in on conversation. We just, it's such a lovely community and family that we're building over there. And I love to hear what you're saying. We've just, we're building off of each other. It's, it's a special safe place.
1: It's a special corner of the digital universe. So go on over. Bring your sneakers, hop on in.
0: Or but your, there won't be your breed be your Pride true. outfit that I didn't get to elaborate on, and no one will know what I'm wearing. But if you want to support our show, you mm. can support us through Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash free cookies podcast. Or you can rate and review us on Apple, 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 Apple podcasts. Oh, PPO. And I just want to give a shout out to the amazing five star reviews that have come in. Thank you, Cade. K- do mm, she hasn't practiced this in advance? K do, doe sits at jivif.
1: <laughs> that's not a bot. That's a real person. It was love, love, love. Five stars, and they loved our podcast.
0: Rolaf, you are the best. you' what is wrong with me? Why are you my, Rolaf? Oh, is that rolling on the floor laughing? Ro R O laugh. Rolaf oh. is the best. Rolaf and I talk all the time on Instagram. And Ashley Saint John. Oh, it's my student. I love you. She said it's the most delicious podcast. Okay, but most of
1: the people People we don't know. And these are just random people who love our show. We don't know. Not all
0: of them are just our friends. I mean, it's not like I bake cookies and send them to these people on a regular basis to get these kind of reviews. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So that's our show. It's a wrap. We out.